1 Corinthians 9. This morning we're going to take a look at verses 15 through 18. If you were with us last week, uh, last week we saw Paul defending his ministry as an apostle against those in Corinth who uh, were seeking to dismiss him. Uh, Along with his ministry, they were trying to undermine his ministry. Um, And and they did it in part, at least, because Paul wouldn't take their money. He wouldn't take their cash, like so many traveling orators of the time who had come into cities and rely upon the generous donations of patrons. Uh, The Apostle Paul made the conscious decision to not receive any uh, financial support from the Corinthians, and one of the things we recognize from that is that means there were, no, there were no strings hanging from the Apostle Paul that could be pulled to control the man or his message. But of course, we, we also saw that Paul uh, is, was not trying to give offense by adopting this approach in Corinth. Rather, he is simply embodying in his own life and ministry the very principle that he's outlined in the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the principle being that sometimes in the Christian life, in the fellowship of the saints, love restrains liberty. Love constrains liberty. And so there are times in the Christian life in which love for our fellow believers in Christ will move uh, us to relinquish, to set aside some of our rights and privileges, because love constrains liberty. And that's what Paul is doing here. In his own life, he is modeling what he was teaching. He practiced what he preached. He won't take money for his ministry so that no one in Corinth could ever accuse him of of Paul being in it uh, to make a buck. Paul was not peddling Jesus as was the case in his own day and as sadly is the case today. Paul was not trying to peddle Jesus to get rich. For Paul, the message itself was the great motive, the driving force of his life, the glorious gospel of free salvation for all who believe filled his heart. And so he wanted nothing at all to get in the way of that good news getting out. Love constrained his liberty. So that was the situation and Corinth. And now in verses 15 through 18, Paul continues to explain why he has adopted this practice toward them. And as he does, I hope we'll see this week and again next week, the, the nature and methods of Christian ministry. The second half of 1 Corinthians 9 is full of instruction about Christian ministry and Christian service. And so it has a great deal of instruction that I think will be beneficial for us. And here's what I want to do today before we read. I want to look at three aspects here of Paul's ministry. Uh, First of all, I want us to think about the content of his ministry. When Paul came to Corinth, what was he all about? That's the content of his ministry. Then secondly, I want us to think about the, the compulsion of his ministry. What governed Paul? What directed him in his ministry of the gospel. And then thirdly, the compensation of his ministry. What was in it for the apostle Paul? 
And when we look at that answer, I, I think we will be surprised by what the Apostle Paul has to say there. Uh, but before we unpack it, let's go ahead and read uh, God's word. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 15 through 18. But I have made no use of any of these rights, that is his right to receive compensation for his ministry, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. If you are with us, some of you may remember when we worked our way through the Christianity Explored series, uh, a story told by uh, Rico Tice. And uh, he told the story about an experiment that a London newspaper did in, in the midst of the uh, city of London. Uh, they put somebody near the, the underground railway, uh, a busy section of the city where thousands of people were going through every day. And they placed someone there handing out leaflets. And on this leaflet was a little note that said, return this leaflet to the person who gave it to you and you will receive uh, five pounds. No strings attached. So you get the picture. Hundreds, thousands of people walking by this individual who's attempting to hand out leaflets. And he passes out hundreds of them. And after three hours, if you remember the story, you might remember how many people actually came back to him and uh, received the five pounds. The note saying, come back, return it, five pounds, no strings attached. After three hours, only 11 people returned to receive the five pounds. It seems, I think, that we have a hard time as human beings believing that anything that's really good could ever be free. You know, what's the saying? Uh, there's no such thing as a, as a free lunch. <laughs> or we're always asking the, the question with a little bit of suspicion, what's, what's the catch? We really have a hard time believing that anything good can be really free. But you see, dear friends, the Christian message is good news precisely because it is. It's free. It's free. And Paul's approach to Christian ministry in Corinth was designed to help the Corinthians grasp that wonderful truth. So let's consider this morning in the first place what Paul has to say about the content of his ministry. Uh, he's been talking to them uh, about the right uh, of those who preach the gospel to, uh, in his words, to get their living by the gospel to receive financial support from congregations, which is their responsibility to enable that kind of ministry to take place. But he's also explained why he has not personally exercised that right. He refuses to take compensation from them. 
And as he explains all of that in verses 15 through 18, I wonder if you notice how he describes his work. Do you catch the language that he uses again and again? He repeats it in verse 16 and verse 18. In Paul's mind, what was he sent to Corinth to do? He was among them, in a word, to preach the gospel. He says, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. We'll come to what that means in a minute. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Again, in verse 18, similar language. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. So why does Paul, or, or um, why, does, why does God give apostles like the apostle Paul to the church? Why does God give ministers to his church? Yeah, they're to, they're to shepherd the flock, yes. They are, they are to pastor and care for people, yes. They are to teach and train disciples, yes. But what is the overriding governing priority and burden of a faithful ministry. It is not merely standing behind a pulpit like this and talking about anything and everything. It is proclaiming a particular message about a particular person. It is preaching the gospel. I, I, I think it's safe to say that the Apostle Paul would, would not even recognize whatever a man is doing behind the pulpit if he is not preaching the gospel. He would not recognize it as preaching. If he's not preaching the gospel, the man standing behind the pulpit cannot help you. Paul believed, I think, about the necessity, the importance of the gospel. He's absolutely emphatic about this. This is what he was all about in his ministry wherever he went. Every other concern was subordinate to the ministry of the gospel. Every other aspect of his ministry was informed by and related to the preaching and teaching of the gospel. The proclamation of the good news about Jesus was his chief governing concern. And so think, think about a, a, a wartime scenario. Let's imagine a battle has been going on for some time. And it's necessary for a message from the front line to, to be uh, communicated back to command center, headquarters, whatever you, you want to call it. And so an emissary is sent. And this emissary does not need to be told how important the relaying of this message is. And as he goes, he goes with the awareness that there, there is no sacrifice that he will not be willing to make in order to, to get this message to where it needs to go. There's no hardship that he will not endure, no, no sacrifice that he will not make. Friends, that's the Apostle Paul. That was his mindset. The news he carries is so vital, so urgent, so necessary that he will surrender everything, even giving up his rights, be willing to endure any hardship to make his message known, to get the gospel out, to see the gospel adorned in the world. You know, I, I came across uh, uh, 
some article this week, and it was talking about how Christians in other countries were surprised to see how an issue like mask wearing is dividing the American church. What if we brought the Apostle Paul into this situation and he saw American Christians dividing over something like mask wearing? What would he say to us? I think the Apostle Paul would say, you got to get your priorities straight. There's something more important that needs to be communicated to the world than we're going to divide over something like wearing masks. Maybe, though, maybe one reason we, we struggle to share the gospel is we've lost sight of really how compelling and urgent and necessary this message actually is. You know, it no longer constrains us and compels us. Instead, it has become like uh, silverware that has been put up on a shelf and it's lost its luster and shine and it's almost now unnoticeable. Is it the case that the good news has become old news for you? Like that silver left on the shelf. It's become dull and unnoticed, noticeable in your life. And if that's the case, I think as we reflect upon the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we are at the very least being urged to take it down and uh, polish it and make it shine once again and place it back where it belongs in the very center of our lives. We need to see the glory and the wonder of the gospel that, that we who were utterly lost and helpless, condemned before God in our sin, he acted for us, sending his son the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to live the life we, we could not live, fulfilling the law of God on our behalf, and then to die the death we could not die as a fit substitutionary sacrifice, satisfying the wrath of God against our sin. He did it for us. And now if, if we would only bend our knee to Christ and, and recognize that that our alleged freedom has in fact been an expression of our bondage to sin. If we would confess that life our way on our terms has always been bankrupt and not free like we once thought it was. If we will come and confess our, our sin and our rebellion looking to Jesus and confessing him as our, as our king, our only Lord, our only hope, our savior, then dear friend, full and free forgiveness of sins will be yours. You will have been born again. You will be, have been brought out of darkness into life, from, uh, to the light, from death into life. You'll be welcomed. You'll have a place to belong in the, the family of God. There's new life to be had in Jesus Christ acceptance before God, a changed heart. In the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ, you, you will have all of the benefits that God has stored up for his people given to you freely in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will have been declared righteous in the sight of God because Christ's righteousness is counted to you. You'll have 
forgiveness of sin, never ever again facing even the possibility of condemnation in the sight of God. Be adopted into the family, welcomed as a member of the household of God, given a right to all of the privileges of the sons and daughters of God. You'll be named a, a co-heir of God and a an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. The old will have gone and the new will have come. The enslaving power of sin that once held you in bondage and its death grip will be broken. And a whole host of sins that once dominated your life, the Lord will begin to chisel away at those things. He'll begin the masterpiece work in your life of taking this rough stone that is your life and chiseling away at it until you begin to resemble more and more of the beauty of his beloved son. He'll enable you to say in in Jesus that to to die to sin and, and to live to God is the life, the happiest life that one can have and say, by the grace of God, I am a new creation, and though I'm a sinner still, and I stumble, and I fail, and I fall often, I do not lose heart or grow weary in doing good. Because the love of God for me in Jesus Christ can never, ever fail. My friends, that, that's, just, that's just a brief summary of the message that we have. And it is electric, isn't it? We speak sometimes through stammering and and stuttering lips this this good news that there is a Savior for you in Jesus Christ. And through that message, Jesus saves sinners. The deaf hear, the, the, the blind are given sight, the dead are made alive. And so how, how when we see the beauty and wonder and power and glory of this gospel could we ever leave it sitting on the shelf collecting dust to be forgotten? Don't you, when your heart's in the right place, don't you want to see it set on display, set at the center of your life, set on display for the world to see? Don't you want to say to to everyone around you, look to Jesus, look at what he's done, look at who he is for you in the gospel. That was, I think, the great burden of Paul's life and his ministry. He was captivated by the gospel and he gladly laid down his rights to make it known because he didn't want anything getting in the way of the gospel getting out. The content of Paul's ministry was the gospel. Then secondly... Let's think briefly about the compulsion of his ministry. Take a look at verses 16 through 17. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Now just think about that last word for a second, stewardship. Paul identifies himself as a steward. It's one of his favorite ways of describing himself in the ministry. He's mentioned it already back in chapter 4. This is how you should regard us as servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. 
Now what's striking about that is a steward was usually a slave serving in a great house who was entrusted with the management of the affairs and the business of the estate. That's a steward. And Paul is saying, that is what I am within the household of God. I am a steward. And as a steward, he is a servant under orders. He is not free. He is a servant of Jesus Christ, who is his master. That is how Paul thought about himself in his ministry. And Paul, Paul isn't a servant and steward. Note this, he isn't a servant and steward because... He reached a point in his life where he had to face up to reality. Look, I'm, you know, I'm not really good at anything else, so I guess I'll just be uh, a minister. Uh, I'll, I'll call myself an apostle, and we'll see how this goes. No, he preaches because Jesus Christ has laid a commission upon his life, and he can do nothing else. He is not free to do anything else but this. Necessity is laid upon him, he says. He says, if I do this of my own free will, I have a reward. In other words, he's saying, I could claim some merit in my ministry and you know, demand reward from God for my voluntary elective contribution to the cause of the kingdom. But he's saying, the fact is, I am a slave of Jesus Christ and his steward. I was summoned by Christ to this gospel work. He is my master. So woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now there's another significant word. The word woe. You know that's a word that's often used in the Old Testament. Particularly by the prophets. As they're announcing oracles of judgment. Um, let's just take the book of Isaiah as one case example. In chapters 1 through 5, Isaiah is announcing woe against the, the kingdom of Judah. He's announcing uh, oracles of judgment on God's people. But then when we get to chapter 6, after Isaiah has been saying, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, he finds himself in the temple and suddenly he sees the Lord and the, the train of his robe filling the temple and now that, that announcement of woe and condemnation that has been pronounced over other people, Isaiah directs at himself, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And this is what Paul is saying. He's talking in this kind of language. If I shrink... Uh, away from, if I shirk the responsibility uh, that is laid upon me by my master and Lord to be a steward of the mysteries of God, woe to me, judgment, doom, 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 he's saying. This is a necessity, a compulsion, an irresistible demand that is laid upon him. As I've been reflecting upon this during the week, uh, I've had this growing conviction that, that this is actually one of the great needs of the church today. And so what can you do? Might be a question that, that you're asking. And One of the things that I want to urge you to do is to pray. Pray. Pray for, pray for seminary students who are 
preparing for ministry. Pray for pastors in the ministry. Because we need pastors who can do nothing else but be servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. Who, who feel this kind of divine constraint to preach the gospel and apply it to hearts and lives who, who can say sincerely with Paul, necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is one of the things I think that will overcome fear. It, it will not produce arrogance. It ought to drive out ungodly fear, this sense of divine constraint. This is what will keep pastors going when trials and discouragements come. Now, I was reading another article this week, and you know that in a normal year, it is sadly far too common to, to, for, for, for men to be leaving the ministry. And uh, the numbers are staggering. But this year, they have skyrocketed. And it's even true within the PCA that many ministers are leaving the ministry in part because of the stresses of this year. And I have the thought, and I'm not commenting on any particular individual or ministry, but I had that, this thought while I was, was thinking about this phenomenon. If, if more ministers had this great overriding weight of divine obligation, this this idea that I have a charge given to me by King Jesus to preach his message to the world. With that sense of obligation, I wonder if, if more man, men would stay the course. But without that sense of obligation, is it really surprising when pastors under pressure or stress lose heart? And abandon their posts. So please, please pray, pray for pastors. Pray for me. Pray for Pastor Dave that we might live and serve as servants and stewards, conscious of the claim of Jesus, compelling us to preach this gospel in season and out of season. I am pleading with you, please make this a regular prayer of yours. We we don't know what the future holds for the church in America. Um, but I suspect that there will be greater challenges to come given the trajectory of things. There may very well be in my lifetime a cost for faithful gospel ministry. So pray that God would raise up pastors with this sense of divine obligation, a sense of urgency and necessity to preach the good news at all costs and to fulfill the stewardship that has been entrusted to them by Jesus Christ. So the content of Paul's ministry, the compulsion of his ministry, and then thirdly and finally, the compensation of his ministry. Again, what's, it, what's in it for Paul? Let's focus for a minute on the difficult language of boasting that Paul uses in verses 15 through 16. He says, uh, I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure 
any such provision. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm not writing to manipulate you now into giving me the very thing I said I don't want. He says, I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. Now, isn't that tough language? What is Paul Paul saying here? Is he saying that because he took no money from the Corinthians that he is now able to, in some sense, boast in how selfless he is being? You know, going well above and beyond the call of duty. Is this what people today would call a humble brag? You know what a humble brag is? If you're on social media, you know what a humble brag is. You see him all the time. You know, is this Paul tweeting out that... uh, I wanted to go the extra mile at Corinth, preached for no pay, hashtag selfless. Uh, no, I don't think so. And, and here's why. Uh, Paul is boasting, but his boasting is subversive. And here's what I mean. If you take a look at 2 Corinthians 11.30, I think you get the principle that you need to understand what Paul is saying here. So if you look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30, he says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I will boast of the things that put my weakness on display. And then if you turn back to 2 Corinthians, or sorry, forward to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I'm going to boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ might be demonstrated in my life and ministry. I think that's the spirit in which Paul is writing about boasting here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So remember what Paul has been talking about. He has refused to take salary from the Corinthians, and that cost him. It really cost him something, not just financially, but also in terms of time and energy. Think about the time he must have spent making tents in order to make a living a time he might have otherwise used for for gospel ministry. Think about the social cost of it, living in a society that very much judged you in terms of your status and standing in society. And here's, here's Paul the tent maker. And so undoubtedly, some of the Corinthians were looking down on the Apostle Paul, the elites of Corinthians, dismissing him. And they've actively tried to renounce his ministry. So here he is striving to make ends meet while still having enough mental, emotional, uh, physical, and spiritual stamina to pour himself out in preaching and pastoring among the Corinthians. And so when you think about that, you've got to recognize that, that this is a real liability. Humanly speaking, this is a liability. Paul is actually willingly imposing on himself limitations that put him at a distinct disadvantage for ministry. Now, why in the world? Why in the world would he do that and then point to it and boast in it? Because it's his way of saying there is no way in the world that Paul would accomplish 
all that God is doing in your lives, dear Corinthians. God, through the gospel, is what's getting it done. The word of God at work among you is what's bringing this about. So what then is his reward? What is that in preaching he might present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of his right in the gospel? What did, what did he get out of all of this? To take a back seat, to step out of the light, so that all of the attention might fall on the gospel of God and the God of the gospel. That everyone might see that it is the good news about Jesus that is doing it all. The word at work. That was his reward. And he loved it. That's what thrilled his heart. Seeing the gospel have its way in the lives of those. Who are being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that speaks volumes doesn't it. About Paul's confidence. In the power of the gospel doesn't it. He is willing to put himself at a distinct disadvantage, at least by worldly standards. He is willing to embrace obstacles to his ministry so that the gospel might be recognized as the thing that it is, the power of God into salvation. And so this morning, as we reflect upon Paul's ministry, as you look at our church and as you take a look at your own life, I want us to ask ourselves some questions. You know, where does our confidence really lie? Where does your confidence for change in your own life lie? Confidence for the future of the, the claims of Jesus Christ in this world. Where does your confidence lie? Being reminded by Paul, we, we don't really need gimmicks and tricks, do we? We don't need a silver magic bullet. We don't need the backing of a particular political leader. We don't need some new fad that if only we would embrace it, the church would be full. We just need to believe that the word will do its work and be found faithful. Be committed as Paul was to being its servant. We need to learn to say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. See, the power is not in us, dear friends. It's not in our strategies or schemes or ministries. We are nothing more than servants of the word. And the power is found there. And as God works through his word to redeem and restore and recreate, it is made clear, isn't it, through our weakness that all of the power belongs to him. Now, I've personally found this passage to be a great encouragement to my heart, and I hope you do as well. It makes me want to say to us this morning, let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's get the word out. Let's speak the word. Yes, maybe trembling and bumbling at times, stumbling over ourselves, but let's speak the good news and see God open blind eyes and open deaf ears and give life to those who are spiritually dead, taking away hearts of stone and giving to them hearts of flesh to believe and receive the gospel so that all the glory might go to the God of the gospel. Let's, let's be about proclaiming the gospel, boasting in our weakness, knowing that the power and the glory 
is his. Let's pray. Our Father, we, uh, we do confess to you this morning that there are times um, when our own insecurities, uh, our own weaknesses, and our own fearfulness makes us doubt that uh, we can be of any real help in the extension and the work of your kingdom. And uh, the, the lesson that we uh, sometimes are anxious about is that it's the very lesson that we, we need to learn. We are helpless. Uh, we can't do it. But by your grace, we can be your faithful servants. We can be your mouthpieces. We can share what we have received. And so we pray that you would strengthen us to that end, to be faithful ambassadors and messengers of this wonderful good news that has come to define our lives and our eternity. Help us now to be those who willingly and gladly uh, share it with others. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.